Last week, we began a series called Christmas Is, and we talked about Christmas being complicated, and, but that God is with us, even through the complications. So if you're, if you're here last week, hopefully that was encouraging to you. If you know someone who's going through a complicated season, share some of the things that we talked about or share that message with them. But today, we're going to take a look at more of kind of what we think Christmas is. And for a lot of us, <clears throat> Christmas is fun. Christmas is parties. I'm excited. Jace, I was seeing some of the stuff they were preparing for Wednesday night, and I don't know if we have any students in here, but man, you guys need to be there, okay? And you need to invite somebody. It's going to be a lot of fun. But for a lot of us, Christmas is parties, including like ugly like Christmas sweater parties. Here's my thing with the ugly Christmas sweater parties. Some of these Christmas sweaters are like starting to look actually like nice. Um, I'm like, this is a cool Christmas sweater. Like, the old days, you had to go up into the attic and see grandma's crusty old, you know, sweater with a snowman that's barely hanging on. And now we got a whole section in Walmart for these things. And the original ones are selling for like hundreds of dollars on eBay. So for some of us, Christmas is parties. Christmas is fun. For others of you guys, Christmas is decor. How many of you guys have lights out on your house? Okay, a lot of y'all, you've been like, since, since July, some of you, I know some people, they've been planning whatever their outdoor Christmas spectacular is going to be. I'm like, that's a lot of electricity. And some of you guys, though, July is about the time you looked up and you realized, I didn't take those things down. Maybe I should just leave them up there. It's not that far. But no matter what it is, we love the lights and the decor of Christmas. Now, I see some kids in the room. Christmas is break time, right? Yeah. For a lot of students, kids, I know growing up, Christmas was break time. If you've got a kind boss or maybe you're a teacher, Christmas is some time off. For parents, you're like, no, Christmas is now more time on. Like, yeah, I got to keep them busy, make sure they're not breaking stuff, drinking all the milk, leaving Legos out for me to step on. But Christmas is a time when we get to just have a little bit of extra downtime and be together. But I, I think a lot of us, we have different thoughts. We know what Christmas is. But we can all agree that our, our main hurdle during this time isn't knowing the reason for the season. It's remembering it. It's remembering why we celebrate, even when there's lots of things to do and parties and complications and, and goods and bads. Why is this something we're celebrating? So for that, we're going to go to Scripture. So since you have your Bibles, either turn on that glow screen or get that thing ready to turn some pages because we're going to look at a few different passages today. And I'm going to do a little bit of teaching today. You guys okay with that? Okay. So I want you to go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to get you to a few different places. So you're going to have to mark a couple of these places. So we're going to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Where do you think the next one I'm going is? John chapter 1. Verse 1. So we're going to look at Matthew 1 1, Mark 1 1, Luke 1 1, John 1 1. We're going to be looking at these. We're today, we're going to be looking at the beginning sentence of each of the four Gospels. If you're not familiar with the word gospel, in its simplest sense, it really means just good news. How many of you guys could use some good news today? That's why today's message is titled Christmas is Good News news. Christmas is good news. Even when we may be tired, busy, hanging up lights, trying to find just the right present, when it all boils down to what it really is, Christmas is good news. And I was on social media a couple weeks ago, 
and I saw some really good news. And there was a headline. And how many of you have ever seen a headline that was some really good news? So I saw this headline on social media, and I'm going to have to put them up here. Here's the headline I saw. It was about sugar, okay? And it said this. I'm waiting for them to put it up there. They'll get it. I know they will. Here it is. Sugar increases life expectancy. And I was like, this is the best day ever because I like sugar a lot. Yeah, sugar's great. Like sugar increases life expectancy. Frosted flakes, here I come. Like I'm going to get me some, some more cookies. Like I already eat enough. I'm going to have some more of them. This is the best day. And then I clicked on it. And it was just a trick. It was just them trying to sell me a glucose monitor. Like, what kind of headline is this? It's just, you know, we all, and it went on to basically say, if you have enough sugar, you'll die. And I'm like, man, I'm going to have some more ice cream. Like, but we've all seen these things, this clickbait. And it's this headline that captures our attention. And then we click into it, and maybe it's not exactly what it said it was. But today, we're going to take a look at four of kind of the, the headlines, the first statements and these good news of the gospel. And let me tell you, these aren't just clickbaits of things that we click on and they let us down. They're actually headlines to the greatest story that will ever be told, the best news of all time. And so today we're going to read the opening statement, the headline of each of these accounts of the life of Jesus. Before we get to these, though, let's pray. God, we thank you. God, that you've allowed us to be together today, to hear about this good news of the gospel. God, I pray that your word, God, would speak much louder than mine. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, so Matthew 1, 1 is where we're going to start. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, this is the genealogy. Man, right when I see that word in the Bible, I'm like, yay. Not really, okay? Most of us are not looking for a list of names. But it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And again, for most of us, if we've read scripture at all, If you've ever read scripture and you start seeing a bunch of numbers or a bunch of names, a lot of us kind of, we'll read them maybe because we're doing our due diligence and we're reading that scripture, but we don't really think about it or pay attention to it. We're like, eh, it's just a list of names. And that's not a headline many of us would click, but Matthew tells us why he's giving us this list of names. And it starts off by reminding us of who Jesus is. He gives him this title, the Messiah, Other translations use a different word. It says Christ. Now let me clear this up. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay? His name is not Jesus' last name Christ. Okay? Christ is a title. Messiah is a title. And it's a title that means promised one, anointed one. It's, it's one that they would have known, we've been waiting for this Messiah, we've been waiting for this Christ. So they didn't think, here came, here came Jesus, like Christ, like Jesus Smith. No, that is not a last name. That is a title of someone they've been speaking of and waiting for, the Messiah, the Christ. And to these readers, they would have understood the expectations and responsibilities and requirements that came along with this title. It's kind of like in our time, if we hear somebody called a head coach, a governor, a doctor, immediately if we called somebody that, we'd have an an understanding of what's expected of them, of what some of the good requirements of a good doctor would be. 
these people who heard this title, Messiah, they heard this title, Christ, immediately things would have came to their mind. And one of the biggest one is hope. Hope would have come. And Matthew goes on to call Jesus son of David, son of Abraham. These were two names. Matthew wants us to understand he was truly a man, but not just any man. He was a native Jew, a descendant of the promise that God had given hundreds and hundreds of years ago to Abraham, that he, there would be a, a, a family that would just outnumber the stars in the sky. He was a fulfillment of that process, promise. He was a fulfillment of a promise to David that that would have a kingdom that would never end. There would, there would come a king that would set up a kingdom that would never end. So Matthew is telling us from the beginning, the promised one has come. The Christ has come. So today, instead of making a bunch of points, I want to boil down these verses and just to a, a headline, a single headline that would draw our attention and make us want to just click in. So if we had to boil this first statement down to a headline, we would just read this. A king has come. A promise has been fulfilled. Matthew, that's what he wants us to know from the get-go. A king has come. A promise has been fulfilled. And then we have to ask ourselves a question with each one of these headlines. And the first question is this. Is he your king? Is he your king? And if he's your king, does your life model that you're following under the reign of this good king, Jesus? Does he have the authority to rule over your life? Does that show in the way you use your time, your skills, your budget, the way you speak to your family? Does that show that Jesus is king? So we go to the next headline. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This one reads, the beginning of the good news. Just like we said, Christmas is good news. He's, he's setting it up from the beginning. I'm about to tell you some good news. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. We see this title again, Messiah. Again, other translations say Christ. But now we see Mark, he refers to him, not just in a lineage of men. He's like, let me tell you, this is not just a man. This is the Son of God of God. He uses this title to attract attention and secure the respect of those who are going to read. This was not just a common biography detailing the history of a man. It doesn't recount the good deeds just of a hero who lived. He wants you to know this is the doctrines and doings of the Son of God. The Son of God, the one and only Sometimes we like to call ourselves sons and daughters of the king, but there's only truly one son that is the king, and his name is Jesus. Let me tell you, if any of you say, I'm going to write an autobiography, and you come to me and you say, the first line is, here I am, Fred, the son of God. I'm going to say, well, uh, maybe you have crossed state lines and enjoyed some things that were legal to them and not to us, because I don't know if that's the best first line for your autobiography there. But from the gate, Mark wants us to know this is not just a man. This is the son of God. And calling him son, especially in, in that time, it, it didn't mean less than. It was saying this, he carries the full weight, authority, and responsibility of God, equal to the Father, possessing the same perfection, enjoying the same glory, 
desiring the same worth and worship. If you go on to read this book of Mark, you'll see a book that's filled with all kinds of miracles. And the book of Mark is pretty short and compact. And in it, Jesus is always in action. He's always on the move. He's continually serving. He's continually just doing. There's so many just quick miracles in this book. And it starts off right away. He jumps in. Mark is saying, this is, this is the son of God. And if we were to boil it down to a headline, it would be quick. It would be to the point. It would be this. God is on the move. He wants us to know from the get-go, this is the Son of God. I'm about to tell you good news. And you need to know this. God is on the move. We've been waiting for hundreds of years of this to, for this to happen. Now, God is on the move. And so my question for you, God is still on the move. God is still on the move. He never stopped. But are you moving in his direction? Are you moving in his direction? Here's the direction Jesus moved in that we saw all the time. He moved in the direction of reconciliation and forgiveness? Are you moving in that direction? Are you living a life where you're, you're forgiving people and you're doing your best to keep peace and to reconcile? Jesus moved in a, a life where he wasn't afraid to pray big, bold prayers and ask for miracles. Are you moving in that direction where you're willing to lay hands on the sick and believe that God can actually heal them? Those are the directions Jesus moved in and he asked us to continue to move in his direction. So ask yourself, God is on the move. That's what Mark wants us to know right from the very beginning. Are you moving in his direction? Now we move to the next gospel. Luke, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So Luke is actually writing a document to a, a guy named Theopolis. You can see it if you read in there, but... At the first, first, first word. Most of us would just skim right by this first word. But this first word is very powerful. Let me say many. Say it again. Say many. many. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to the person on your left. If there's somebody on your right, look to the person on your right. And don't say anything out loud. But if, if somebody was going to write about their life, how many people do you think would actually write about their life. I probably have a good idea. Here's how many people. Um, this is how many. N not many, okay? Not many. It sounds horrible, but if you look to the left or the right, not many people are probably going to write big, huge, long accounts of our lives. I know that we think we're really important, but the honest to God truth is unless you do something extra, extra good and extraordinary or really, really horrible, in two, three hundred years, we'll have a lineage of family, but we probably won't have much written about us. But Luke sets out from the beginning saying, many people have done their best to write about what I'm about to write about. And he's not talking about just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are all kinds of accounts in different gospels that aren't even in our scripture of people who are trying to tell this story. But it's a, it's a story of just a simple Jewish carpenter. And the thing is, not many histories were written about a lot of people during that time. There were leaders and kings 
that not many things were written about. In fact, there are leaders and kings in Jesus' time that we would hardly know anything about except for they're the footnote in the history of this Jewish carpenter. The only reason we know about them is because they existed in the same time as this guy that just was from Galilee. And so why in the world did many people write about this? Let me tell you, Writing was not super simple at this time. We can just pull out a phone at any time and make a note about somebody. So there probably will be things written about us because it's so easy for us to do. But at this time, it was not super simple. It was time-consuming, expensive. So why did many people want to write about this man, Jesus? And it wasn't just because he did good things. There were a lot of people who did good things that didn't have a lot written about them. He died a criminal. There was lots of people that died as a criminal and not much was written about them. Something happened that caused many people to write about. And this is what happened. He rose from the dead. And everything changed. Everything changed when a good man who had done miracles and died on the cross, and then on the third day he rose, all of a sudden, good news had come. He wasn't just a king who died, he's a king that was alive. And many people had to do their best to share this story as far and as wide as they could. That's why many people wrote, because there was good news for all people. Something extraordinary had happened. Something revolutionary. Something that had to be told. A lot of us, we've heard good news before. And I've watched my daughters, they get some news and they immediately pull out their phone and they text as quick as they can to their friends to let them know of the thing that happened. This is what was happening. There's this good news and everybody needs to hear about it. And so there were many. Whenever sometimes I go back to wondering, man, I don't know, hopefully all of this is true and I need to have faith in this. I can just read this one simple word from Luke. Many people tried to write about this. And I remind myself, there's no reason in the world many people would write about just a simple Jewish guy that was nice and died a criminal. They wrote about it because he rose from the dead and he changed the world. Many. And Luke goes on in verse 4. He gives us the exact reason of why he wrote this. He says, so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. He wants us to feel a little bit level of, of, of confidence and certainty of what he's about to write and compile. He's saying, I know there's lots of stories. I'm going to do my best to research this. And I'm going to boil them down so that you, my reader, Theopolis, but now us, so you can have certainty. So the headline of Luke might read something like this. Have confidence in this good news. Have confidence in this good news. I know there are a lot of people, sometimes they doubt Jesus. They're trying to figure things out. And maybe they lack a little bit of confidence and they think that them lacking confidence is gonna be just a huge disappointment to God and God's saying, I'm okay with you trying to figure some stuff out. That's why he sent people like Luke that would say, I'm gonna write this to help you instill some confidence. Because he understands We don't have perfect faith. There's going to be days when we don't know exactly what we're doing or who we believe in. And he's saying, let me give you a standard. You can go back to scripture sometimes. And so if you guys are lacking confidence, maybe maybe it's not lacking confidence in Jesus, but you don't know what decision to make. This is a reminder. We can go back to God. We can go to scripture, have confidence. And so the question 
It's just, how is your confidence in Jesus? Ask yourself, is he the person you go to when you don't know where to go? If you're doubting, that's okay. You know what? That's what we're here for. That's what Scripture's here for. That's what Luke wrote this account for. If you're struggling, if you're, if you're wavering, just don't run. Push in, because God is big, God is good, and he'll be there for us. And then we get to this last account. And this one comes from John. And John, his account is way different than the other threes. His very first verse sets this tone. And I'm going to read this verse. And sometimes we've heard this and we just read over it. But I'm going to sit here for a minute in this verse because it's deep. It's rich. And it's not something just to be read over. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. The first three headlines in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're rich. They set a quick tone. But this one, the first three words from the get-go grab a reader's attention. It says, in the beginning. And we might be tempted to just look past this and, okay, in the beginning, and then we go to the next thing. But to the readers of that time, if I stood up here this morning and I said, four score and seven years ago, you guys would be like, I heard that before. The guy had a top hat on. Things didn't end well for him. Um, I, I've heard that speech. Immediately for them, they would have heard, I know, I, I've heard this in the beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. John 1.1, in the beginning. John wants his audience, which includes you and I, to know, hey, this Jesus I'm about to tell you about always has been, always will be, always was. He was in the beginning, and he's here to start a new beginning now. He wants his readers to know Jesus is coming to start something new. He then gives Jesus a title. We've heard Jesus called Christ and Messiah, and we see this thing, it's called the Word. And when he's saying the Word, he's not talking about the thing you hold in your hand called the Bible. That didn't even exist. I know that's a shock to some of you, but there wasn't a canonized scripture called the Bible for another couple hundred years. And in those couple hundred years, the church exploded and grew because not of the thing called the Bible, but because of the actual thing called the Word. The word is Jesus. And the word is actually translated from a Greek word. And it's translated from a Greek word that is incredibly rich, deep, and very like, my sister is here with me. She's got a degree in philosophy and another one in theology. And she said, you have to teach that word longer than this. I spent two years getting a degree in this one word. I said, I'm not going to do that because that will bore them to tears. But here's the word. Logos, logos, tomato, tomato, however it was taught. But this word logos is, it's deep, it's rich, and it's actually the word word translates to the word logos, and it's in so many other things and words. Philosophers ponder on this one thought and word, and John was writing in a way to capture the broad, grand scheme of how big Christ actually is. And so if I was to just give a rough summation of when he says, in the beginning was the word, and what he's talking about, here's just a rough, quick thought of what this is. Logos is just this. That which gives order to what otherwise would be chaos. 
That which gives order to what otherwise would be chaos. That is what John wants us to know. Hey, the God who created everything. He actually, we're going to see, I'm going to introduce you to him, John is saying. His name's Jesus, but he's the one who brings order to chaos. John is saying, in the beginning, there was the one who defines what logic is, who defines what wisdom is. He's the one who builds the principle of love that holds together all of reality. He's saying, in the beginning was the word. And again, he's not talking about the Bible. The Bible's great. He's saying, in the beginning was the word, Jesus And here's the truth. Some of you, you need a new beginning with the word today. You need to understand that the God who always has been, always will be, is here to give you a new beginning. And your life may feel a little bit chaotic. It may feel a little hectic. Remember, Logos, the word has come and he is the one who brings order to chaos. He is the one who gives hope to hopeless things. He's the promise in the middle of pain. He's wisdom where you feel like your mind can't decide. The one who was there at the beginning of it all has come to start a new beginning. And it's one of the deepest and most beautiful paragraphs in all of Scripture. And we, we read it, but man, do we actually read it? So we read in the beginning was the word and some of us have never even thought about the fact that he's talking about Jesus and he was saying he was there at the beginning and Man, he's the culmination of everything, the one that binds it together. So I'm going to read this. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. How many of us need a new spark of light, a new feeling of just a reinvigoration of life inside of us. That's why Jesus came. John wants us to know that he's there to shine a light in the darkness. And then he, he straight up says who this word is. If you look down at verse 14, it says, the word became flesh. That means the infinite creator of all things decided to put on skin and bones to dwell among us. Guys, that is a concept that is, blows my mind. How good is our God that he came to put on flesh to dwell among us? So if I had to boil this down, sometimes a good headline starts as just a, a question. And the question would be this, if you had to boil it down, and it's so hard because it's so rich, but it would just be this, you got chaos? The God of creation has come. Jesus entered a world that was full of chaos. And I've heard so many sermons and preachers get up and they say, you know, the world nowadays, and I I get it, but I also hate it at the same time because this world was horrible that Jesus was entering into. The world's always been chaotic. That's why Jesus came to show a sense that I can bring order even in the midst of chaos. And as Jesus walked and taught and lived on the earth, he didn't always speak and point to some future reality of heaven. He said, I have come to bring the kingdom now. I have come to bring order to the chaos that you see around us. And that's now our mission as ambassadors of Christ to be peacemakers to bring people who bind together and hope. 
to when there's chaos, we're like, well, we're here. Can I give you a hug? Can I help you out? We're to partner with the word because our world's chaotic. And I've, I've told the staff that I lead, I started saying it here a couple times too, but the staff that I lead down in Clarksville, I always say we do not need to bring chaos to anything. Chaos is already coming. And the truth is, as ambassadors of Christ, chaos is always coming. And we are to be the people of light and hope that can bring order, can bring the word to that chaos. So, you got chaos? The God of creation has come, but it's really hard for us to bring any of that hope and to bring any of that peace if he's not our all. And so we've got to ask our question, is, is, is he my all? And it's such a broad question because like, what, is the, what do you mean all? It depends. What do you mean? We all know that space that he's not our all. I've got mine and I've got to every day try my best. Like, okay, I've got, I got, I got to release this to you, God. And we all know it. And even now, if I say it, you can all think of where is God not my all? What is the thing I've not given all the way to him? What's the thing I've not completely released to him? Where is it that I've not decided, okay, you're the word, God, and you can bring order to this? It could be your family, your finances, trusting for healing. Where is it that you just need to say, okay, you're my all? You're it. Because that's what John wants us to know. In the beginning was the word, the all. In the beginning was the all. So is he your all? Is he your word? Is he the one that you're walking with to bring order and peace to chaos? We spent, we went through a lot in just four verses. You could do that through all of scripture, guys. I would encourage you, some of us, we get sometimes in these habits of, I've got to get through the Bible in a year, and it becomes just this religious thing. And it's, it's good to have habits and rhythms, but man, if you only just sit in one verse for a week because that's what God's speaking to you, good. Let God speak to you through Scripture. You don't have to, if, but if God wants you to read a whole book, good. Don't get into just little check boxes of doing the thing. Spend time in scripture because you want to know who God is, not because you want to get something done. That's why I'm like, okay, let's just take four. Four of the top headlines, the opening statements and phrases to the good news because that's what Christmas is, good news. And if we had to take all these headlines and boil them down into one, we had to take all of them and just try to smash them together into one, here's how it would sound. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the good news. That's the gospel. We've heard it so many times, but let's never let that become something that's normal to us. Let's never let it become something that we just take for granted. Let's really accept that gift and say, okay, I'm going to live in a way that responds what you've given to me.